welcome back to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray podcast, where we strive to follow the Come Follow Me outline and provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we do our best to become more dedicated and devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I sure am. Um, I just actually received an email. Um, the other, I just received an email today telling me that today marks the uh, the one-year anniversary of the first time that we released an episode of Come Follow Me. So, there you go. If you are if you were following along with us through the whole year, this has been one year. Um, it's been... It's been a different journey, I'm sure, as we've kind of bounced around and been not as regular as probably other more professional podcasts are. But I appreciate your sticking with us, and I appreciate you listening to my ramblings, and I pray that they have helped you and your loved ones come closer to the Lord. I know that this journey has helped me. All right, enough enough of that randomness. Let's jump into what we're here for. Let's jump into the scriptures. We're going to be in... 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, as I always say, this is not supposed to replace your Come Follow Me study. This is supposed to supplement, and that's one reason why I don't strive to get through the whole the whole thing. I, I get through what we can um, and, and what we can do, but then what we don't get through, you know, that's up to you to study on your own and for you to come close to the Lord uh, on your own time. But before we get started reading the scriptures, let's start off, as always, with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee so very much for this wonderful day. We thank Thee for the blessings that Thou hast bestowed upon us through all things. And Father, we ask that to please forgive us of our sins. Please forgive us of our pride and our attachment to these worldly things Help us to keep our minds focused on what's truly important. Help us to keep our eye clearly on the kingdom of God and upon thy work. Father, bless us now with thy spirit as we study thy word that we might be able to that we might be able to understand and grow closer to thee, that we might see those things in our lives that need to change and make the changes necessary. Father, we are so very grateful for all that Thou hast blessed us with, and we say these things humbly in the name of Thy Son, even Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter two. So let's jump right into it. Chapter two, verse one. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made of all, for all men for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So that, that that's an interesting little thing right there. How often do we, in our personal prayers, do we pray for the leaders of this world? Is it something that we that we strive to do? I know that oftentimes I don't think about it. I think about, you know, I'm too focused on, on my goings on in my life currently, what's going on right here, right in front of me, what's going on there. I'm not too interested about um, what could be going on or what is going on. I, I follow, you know, national news and things like that, but I don't pray. I don't allow my spirituality to stretch beyond my the confines of my home or my ward or my stake even. And I think this is something that Paul is talking about here that we all could probably do better about is is praying, you know, 
let your supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodliness and honesty. Do we pray that the world will continue on in such a way that the kingdom can continue to be built, that we can continue to do those things, that the work can go forward? Is that something that we're praying for? Verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all and to be testified in due time. All right, so we jump to the New Testament manual about Jesus Christ is our mediator. It says that Paul declared in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, that Jesus Christ is our mediator with God. A mediator is one who intervenes between two parties, usually to restore peace and friendship. The Joseph Smith translation provides the insight that Jesus Christ was ordained to be a mediator between God and man. Uh, because he took our sins upon himself, Jesus Christ can redeem us and reconcile our relationship with the Father, allowing us to return to his presence. Restored scripture attests that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He justifies men and women and then perfects them. So that's something that we should, uh, let, let's, let's, let's take a look at that Joseph Smith translation just to see what it has to say. Um, really quickly, because I'm curious now. So, all right, so it says, in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Joseph Smith translation says, who is willing to have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, which is in Christ Jesus, who is the only begotten of God and ordained to be the mediator between God and man, who is one God and hath power over all men. All right, so... What we see here that Paul is telling us, God wants all of his children to be saved. That's what was a, a, a contrary to the belief during the time of the Old Testament was that the Jews were the chosen people. They were the only ones that were going to be saved. Uh, similar to, I think it's Calvinism who believes in, in predestination, where it doesn't matter who you are, you're set to believe, you're set to be saved or set to damnation. That's how it's going to be. No, the God of heaven and earth wants all of his children to be saved. He doesn't just want some of them to be saved. He wants all of them to be saved. He has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of his atonement, that all mankind may be saved in obedience the Lord in obedience to the commandments of God. As we all strive for that obedience, we have the chance to receive the, that salvation. It's there for us. His grace extends to all mankind. Do we remember that? Do we extend that grace to others around us? Do we try our best to live as Christ would and to see that all mankind may be saved? Now, there are those who have thrown it away, and there are those who will, who will continue to push it away, and they will be dealt with by God, and, and that is not for us to, to deal with. And there are times in which we, we, we can listen to the Spirit and say, okay, now is not the time for this. And there, there were times in, in, the Lord's, in the Lord's ministry where he held his peace, and he didn't say anything to people because it, it, was, it would have been useless. And that, in those cases, I believe, is where the, that, that whole, the whole idea of casting your pearls before swine comes into play. 
it's not necessarily calling those individuals swine. Much more, it's saying that those individuals do not appreciate and cannot understand the value of what you're trying to give them. And so you then are degrading the value of those spiritual things. I was listening to, uh, I was reading through Doctrine and Covenants, uh, just the first few chapters, I think it's in, in, in section six, where they talk about where the Lord is commanding uh, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to be very careful with sacred things and how where they give them out and who they tell them to. That as they go about imparting these spiritual these mysteries of the kingdom that we should remember the the strength of them and the, and the importance of them and it comes back to the whole idea that Paul kind of talks about of you know not having meat before you have your milk you, you know as as the young as you grow in the gospel you start off with the smaller things you start out with what you can understand and comprehend and what what is important and special to you and then as you slowly grow in the gospel you you, you gain more knowledge it's the same way the lord teaches us are we doing our best to bring all mankind unto christ in the manner in which they can be brought now that's that's pretty tricky to try and say, oh yeah, well, I, I, can, I know exactly how everyone needs to be helped. Obviously, we have to be very in tune with the Lord if we're going to be able to do that. So we're going to jump into a little bit of that in verse 7, it looks like. Um, yes, in verse 7, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, yeah, let's just, I'll, I'll let that, that rest in your minds. Uh, let's continue. In verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. All right, shamefacedness. Uh, modest, modesty and reverence. So with modesty, reverence, sobriety. Uh, let's jump into the New Testament manual. It has a little bit to say about, about that here under modest apparel. So Paul encouraged women to adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, meaning with humility and reverence. He also taught that women should avoid costly clothing and jewelry and ornate grooming. Similar teachings are found in 1 Nephi chapter 13 verses 7 through 8, 4th Nephi chapter 1 verse 24, Mormon 8 verses 36 to 39, and Doctrine and Covenants section 42 verse 40. Paul indicated that women should dress as those professing godliness. The principle of wearing modest clothing applies to both male and female members of the church today. Though your dress and appearance can show that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and that you love him, prophets of God have continually counseled his children to dress modestly. When you are well-groomed and modestly dressed, you invite the companionship and you can be a good influence to others. So let's let's kind of roll around. Let's kind of roll that idea of modesty around in our heads a little bit. To you know, oftentimes I think when we think about modesty, we think about um, not dressing 
sexually enticing, I guess you could say, you know, the bikinis, the low cut dresses, the, the, the high cut slits and the skirts, whatever it may be. Maybe it's tank tops or, or, you know, for, for men or, or running shirtless or things like that, trying to attract or arouse sexual feelings in others and tr- dressing so that we don't, we don't do that. Well, Paul goes a step further, which I think is, you know, a little bit of a higher law in saying, okay, yeah, modest, sure, that's modest. We, we should we should strive to be dressing modestly that way as well. But we should also be striving to dress modestly in that we are not seeking to, to gratify our pride and raise ourselves above our fellow men by dressing in such a way that we stand out, that we say that we stand out above others, and people say, "Wow, you, that you know those clothes you're wearing, the, the oh, is that the?" I I have no idea. I have no idea what brands or what's most in style or anything like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm honestly, I have no idea. But you know. That is something that a lot of people get very into of trying to keep up with the latest fashions, the latest trends, the latest brands. And doing so and being very outward about it, that in and of itself is dressing immodestly because then all of a sudden we are we are using our clothing, we're using our dress to try and to try and vaunt ourselves above others. Is that something that we're striving to do? Now I'm not saying that we should all dress in burlap sacks so that we should just, you know, we should dress in in very humble and lowly attire that we should, oh, no, no, you know, dress nicely. You should dress nicely, but modestly. There, there is a distinction. There is a balance there. And the same, you know, the same way you shouldn't, you shouldn't dress yourself in sackcloth and ashes to try and show everybody, oh, look how humble I am. Look at how lowly I am. That, that again, you're going the wrong way and you've become pharisaical in your, your approach to this. Your dress should never detract from the message that you're trying to to give. If if what you're wearing, if what you're doing, if what what you present detracts away from the message of Christ, then perhaps we should take a look at why we're dressing that way or what it is that we're trying to accomplish. This is something that I was kind of wrestling with a little bit. As I've said before, I'm working on several different projects. I've got several different things going on, trying to do some small business things or whatnot. And there was a scripture in um, uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 6. Uh, maybe I can pull it up real quick. But basically, it talks about not seeking for wealth but instead seeking for the kingdom of God and seeking for, and then because if you, the man who seeks first for the kingdom of God will be made rich and because um, he who hath eternal life is rich. Um, Let's see if we can find it real quick. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. But it was something that I was kind of struggling with because all of a sudden it was, it was a little bit rebuking to me. Um, All right. Verse seven. Uh, seek not for riches, but for wisdom. And behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. So I struggled with that a little bit because I'm like, well, 
Am I, are you telling me now that all these projects that I've started, that it's a waste of time? Is that what it is? I've just been wasting my time on these things because, and, and the thing is, to some extent, yes, to some extent, yes, you are wasting your time. But the Lord understands that, that there is a necessity for money in this world, that we need to be able to take care of our families. We need to be t- able to, to do the things we need to do. But the the scripture that came into my head was comes from Jacob when it says, um, I think it's 319, Jacob chapter 319, uh, but before you seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a faith in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if ye seek them, for ye shall seek for you shall seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and, and to minister relief to the sick and the afflicted. That's Jacob 2, 18, 2, chapter 2, 18 and 19, I, I, I think. Someone will have to check me on that. Um, and that, I think, is the, the crutch of it in some ways. They, they, balance each, they, they balance each other in that it's when we put first things first, when we put the things of God first, the rest of it begins to fall into place. When we strive to do those things that we've been asked to by God, to keep the commandments, to live worthily, to to serve those around us, suddenly we begin to see what really matters in the world and what really matters to Christ and to the Lord. And as we do that, then we begin to have that change of heart. And if we still seek for riches, if, you know, we still have to go to work and when we, when we receive that money, then that money then becomes useful to God. If we have, can settle ourselves strongly enough in our faith, then we will not be tempted by Baal, you know, the god of money, the god of the 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 false god, I should say, the false god of money, the false god of wealth and economic power. That we will not be tempted to use it on our own carnal lusts, whatever they may be. We will use it for the intent to do good. And it's the same thing here with modesty. Do we, do we live modestly? Not just in our dress, but do we live modestly? Live within your means, you know, all, all those different things. Do we live modestly in such a way that we're not trying to put ourselves above, to make an idol of ourselves, I guess, Do we worship ourselves on on the works of our own hands? That's a hard thought to kind of think about. I know for myself, there's, as I think about it more, there's probably some areas where I need to repent. And I encourage you all, if there's an area where you feel the same way, to perhaps do the same. Um, Anyways, verse 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works? Um, Let me just double check. Yeah, okay. Uh, Verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence uh, with all subjection. But 
I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. All right, so this is this is the section that really gets uh, a lot of people going about Paul, that they feel like, you know, Paul really has it out for women, and he's just a, a woman hater, and you can tell from these from these scriptures he's just misogynistic, he just hates women. Um, so let's, let's read it, let's read it through and let's see what the New Testament manual has to say. So let me start over. Verse 11, let the woman learn silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All right, so uh, the New Testament manual. In 1 Timothy 11 through 12, chapters 2, verse 11 through 12, Paul said, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach. Some people have taken these verses to mean that women are not allowed to speak in church in Paul's day. However, this recommendation that women learn in silence may have been an effort to correct a specific problem where some women were usurping the authority of church leaders. For more information, uh, President M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught about the valuable roles that women have in the church. He said, quote, Every sister in this church has, who has made covenants with the Lord has a divine mandate to help save souls, to lead the kingdom of the world, to strengthen the homes of Zion, and to build the kingdom of God. Sister Eliza R. Snow, the second general president of the Relief Society, said that every sister in this church should be a preacher of righteousness because we have greater and higher privileges than any other females upon the face of the earth. So that's something to keep in mind is that just because, you know, Paul may have said this and, and we're, we don't know exactly why he said what he said. We don't know exactly what it may have been. The church, the church seems to believe and they seem to try and push the point that Paul was saying it in, 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 why, in, the, uh, in the effort to, to correct women who were trying to take the priesthood for themselves and to try and lead the church and these different things. Um, stepping outside of their God-given role and trying to usurp the, the other roles, which we've talked about before. The roles of men and women are men and women are very well defined and very well balanced with each other. And if we both live up to our roles, then you know, then we can do what needs to be done. One, one way to think of it that just kind of came to me uh, would be perhaps it was not so much as it may not have been so, so much of a rebuke towards women as it may have been a rebuke towards the men of the church. I know that oftentimes, uh, especially in today's world with video games and different things like that or work or whatever it may be, the men of... Uh, the men of the world today oftentimes get so bogged down with the various temptations of the world, be they pornography, be they economic wealth, be they pride, be they video games, recreation, whatever it may be, they, they may be so overwhelmed with some facet of of, whatever, of the world, of the, carnal, of the carnal flesh, that they forget 
to uphold and to do the, the and to fulfill the role that a father and a husband should within the home. And in those scenarios, the, the mother or the wife might step forward and, and have to fill that role. And Paul might be saying, listen, that's not their role. Their role is not to be the head of the household. Their role is not to be the ones to be the ones to have to, to preach and to go out and do these things. Their role, as he says in the, in the end, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. The woman's role is to rear and raise children in Zion. Her role is to support the husband as he performs the roles that God has given him. They are to help each other. So, men step up. Paul could have been saying that as well. It doesn't just have to be that, oh, women, women, you better, you better shut your mouth, you know, because women learn in silence with all subjection. You better just be quiet. No, there's a very good chance that Paul is trying to teach both men and women their role in the gospel, their role in eternity. Like President like President Ballard says, that doesn't mean that women are to just sit quietly by and pick up their knitting and not worry about anything else. Women have very vital and important roles. Um, last little bit here uh, on Eve's role in the fall of Adam. In this discussion, the role of women in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, Paul wrote that Eve transgressed because she was deceived. This was a reference to the fact that Eve was the first to partake of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Rather than being criticized, Eve should be honored for her bold willingness to initiate mortality for all humankind. The Greek text of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 suggests that Paul believed Eve's transgression consisted in her overstepping her bounds by usurping authority to make a decision that affected both herself and Adam. The Greek word parab- parabasis translated in this verse as transgression means literally to overstep. Going again, this pause that for a second. Again, going back to the idea that perhaps it it should have been Adam who should have recognized and realized that this was the next step he needed to take instead of being comfortable in instead of being comfortable with where he was within the garden of Eden. Eve was the one to make that choice. Right, going back, President Dallin H. Oaks of the first presidency discussed Eve's decision to eat the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, saying, quote, It was Eve who first transgressed the limits of Eden in order to initiate the conditions of mortality. Her act, whatever its nature, was formerly a transgression, but eternally a glorious necessity to open the doorway toward eternal life. Adam showed his wisdom by doing the same, and thus Eve and Adam fell that men might be. Some Christians condemn Eve for her act, concluding that she and her daughters are somehow flawed by it, not the Latter-day Saints. Informed by Revelation, we celebrate Eve's act and honor her wisdom and, and, and courage in the great episode called the Fall. Joseph Smith taught that this. Joseph Smith taught that it is not a sin because God had decreed it. Modern revelation shows that our first parents understood the necessity of the fall. Adam declared, quote, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression my eyes are opened, and in this life I shall have, I shall have joy, and again in the flesh see God. Note the difference between the, the special wisdom of Eve, who focused on the, the purpose and effect of the great plan of happiness. 
Quote, where were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed and never should have known good and evil. And the joy of our redemption and the eternal life, which God giveth unto all the obedient. In the vision of the redemption of the dead, President Joseph F. Smith saw the great and mighty ones assembled to meet the Son of God. And among them was our glorious mother, Eve. Uh, I believe that comes from the October General Con 1993 General Conference in the talk titled The Great Plan of Happiness. Um, this is something to keep in mind, brothers and sisters. We have our roles, we have our duties within the gospel. Are we focused on them? Or do we let the, the teachings of the world, whether it may be it, whether it be, whether it be the idea that nope, women are women are exactly like men. They can do anything and everything a man can do. They can all it, there's no difference between the genders. Or whether it be the idea that no, women are lower than men. They are lower than men and they should sit down and they should not talk. They should not deal with manly society. That, that, that should not happen. We know that both of those things are false. Through modern revelation and through the Holy Spirit, which in the light of Christ that lives within us, we can feel the falseness and the falsehood of both of those statements. The truth of the matter is that men and women are equal in relation to one another, but are distinct and separate. They are separate from one another and have distinct and separate roles that work together and balance each other out. As we strive, brothers and sisters, to live modestly and to live the gospel according to the scriptures, according to modern revelation, according to the Holy Spirit of revelation that lives within us each and every day as we strive to keep the commandments of God, we will draw nearer to him. We will have his spirit with us. We will feel that power and we will become the children of God. We will take our place as heirs to the kingdom. I pray, I plead, brothers and sisters, please do not make this journey alone. We were told in the last general conference, salvation is a personal matter. Yes, that's between you and the Lord. But exaltation is a family matter. Pray, brothers and sisters, pray for the members of your family. Pray for those that are lost. Don't lose faith. Alma the Elder never did. We don't know how long it took for him to pray and pray and pray and pray before finally his son returned. I testify that the Lord Jesus Christ reaches out to all. He seeks to save all. That includes me. That includes you. That includes all those that we love and all those we don't know. All those we do know. 
I testify that these are true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.